Haley Morgan coming. And full disclosure, Haley is an old friend of mine. We've been friends since high school, which is, was a million years ago. Yes, we both have four kids, so we've always uh, been able to bond over that. But Haley's got four boys, which means she has tons of great stories. Um, she runs Nellie Taft, which is an online clothing company with just the cutest things you've ever seen. And she's also an author. And so she just released her third book. It's called Preach to Yourself. I wanted to finish it before this morning so I could just be like, it's so good. But I'm halfway through and I can say, it's so good. Um, you guys, it, it is, you'll get to hear parts of it today and um, you're just going to love her heart and her wisdom. So let's welcome Haley. Okay, so I drove in, and I felt like you guys are my people. It was the land of minivans and compact SUVs, so clearly we're already on the same page, which is a great place to start. I also am guessing that maybe you had a morning like I did, or maybe more recently you have. I had a hard night last night, one of those things that you don't see coming, but it happens because it happens like at least five out of the seven nights of the week, somehow, in some way. When you have a lot of kids or you have a lot of relationships in your life, that's a lot of variables for things to go wrong or things to go right but weird. Um, So that was that kind of night. And when I got up this morning, I thought, okay, there's a kid in my bed. I cannot do this. I thought, it's cold outside. I cannot do this. It's raining. I cannot do this. On and on and on. I kicked to the side of my bed. I cannot do this. It just kept going. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a morning like that or maybe an afternoon like that. Or maybe your time is at night when you close your eyes and it's finally quiet and you wonder, is, so this is, this is the thing, I guess. I guess it's just going one more day and getting through it again, trying to anticipate if this is one of the five-sevenths of the things that go a little hairy, or the two-sevenths where I can, like, slide right through as long as I have, you know, a little bit of caffeine. And that's not what the Christian life is about. That's not what this whole thing is supposed to be about. Have you ever felt a little bit like, wait, I feel like things are not quite as promised. I was promised this abundant thing, this life change, this freedom, this excitement, this power, passion, this strength, any of that. And then yet, in my day, why, when I know the things, I know the things, why do I have on my, repeat in my head, this loop says, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Like, I know there's scripture in here. I have four boys. Steph Curry has the scripture written on his shoes. That didn't resonate, but it's fine. Um, he, okay. he has the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So why, why when I know that scripture, do I still in my flesh want to say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And we're not talking about like persecution in Myanmar. We're talking about like I stubbed my toe tripping over my kid because he's sleeping in my bed again. This is not, this is not life-changing, difficult things where I'm being asked to to die to myself to serve the Lord. Um, This is things that should be pretty routine. And it feels terrible when you're like, yeah, I could see saying I can't do this if 
I'm trying to start a secret church in China, and it's difficult. Like, that makes sense. But it feels very first-world problems to have these repetitive loops in my head of the things that are going wrong when I know really so many things are going right. And that gap, I wrote, I wrote the book I wrote because I felt like I had a gap between my head and my heart. I knew the things. I've spent years following the Lord and following the Lord fervently. And yet, it's like Paul says, like the spirit and the flesh are in contrast to each other. I still couldn't make myself really muster up the belief in my heart that matched what I knew in my head. And that's an indictment. That is a crazy-making feeling to be like, I'm pretty good at figuring things out. I got decent grades. Why can I not make this thing happen where it all lines up and what I know in my head goes down to my heart? Then I know it deep in my bones, and eventually it comes out in my hands and my feet through service for the Lord, loving others, and that sort of thing. And I was just stuck at this moving it from my head and down into my heart. And I would never be um, accused of being like a really low-key person. I have, you know, somewhat high-strung. I have things in my head all the time, very busy up here. I don't think that you want to take off the top and look inside. Um, but, but the Lord says in Scripture that we can come to him with our weaknesses, and he, his strength will sustain us. And so I thought, there has to be a way around this. There has to be some way through it, maybe. Maybe that's a better way to think of it. And this felt like figuring out and unlocking a secret of that disconnect. And that disconnect, I came to see as an integrity gap. The world likes to say that Christians are hypocrites, and all of us Christians want to say, like, no, we're just sinners like the rest of you. But there is some truth, at least in my life, to that title. That integrity gap, that thing between what we know, what we know in our heads, what we know from Scripture, the knowledge that we hear on Sunday mornings, and it sinks in there. There is a gap between what we know with our heads and what we allow to change our beliefs in our hearts. And I'm not talking about, like, don't drink, don't cuss, don't dance, don't have sex before you're married. Like, I'm not talking about those things. Like, the things that would be easy to list, all of that. I'm talking about the things of, like, worry and wondering where provision is going to come from. And um, anger or lust or uh, materialism or greed those are the things I'm thinking about, the things of, like, where, um, where the problem begins. And it's not about a try-harder thing. Like, I've tried the try-harder faith where you're like, you're right, I won't dance. I won't say bad words. I won't drink. I won't have sex before I'm married. I've tried all the things. It's great. Those are natural. I mean, some of those things, depending on your convictions, are natural outpourings of your obedience to the Lord. But what I'm really, really, really talking about is in the quiet of your own home, in the privacy of your own relationship with the Lord, where maybe nobody else ever sees it, where might that disconnect between your head and your heart be? Um, I live in an area that is a bunch of high achievers that make a lot of money, that drive really nice cars and live in big houses. And they're always looking to see, like, how can they get a better house or drive a nicer car, get their kids into the better schools. 
And that's just the way my mind thought, like, the world operated because I grew up there. I still live there. And good Christian people I knew lived there and um, did those same things. But my husband and I, I don't really still understand why this happened, but the Lord kind of called us to, like, downward mobility. And nobody, like, in suburban America really wants that situation. (laughs) It all of a sudden feels like we are making significantly less money than we used to, and our standard of living feels a little shaky. And these are all things that are fine. Remember, I'm not starting like a secret church in China, so these things are fine. But um, I felt, I really, really felt, I knew we were following the Lord. Like, I knew that in my head. But I felt in my heart that he wasn't going to provide for us. I felt that, like, utter insecurity of just, like, Things are not happening. This is not how it's supposed to be. And yet, do you guys know anything about the Enneagram? Yes? No? Okay, so we have some Enneagram weirdo people like me out there. So I am a three on the Enneagram, which for the people who don't know or don't care, basically all that means is I see forward motion as like the thing. And I want to achieve. I want things to happen. I want to move and shake and change things up. And so my natural, and this is not a personality test like, you should keep doing that. This is a personality test like, babe, you might have done that to cope with some things when you were a child. So maybe go to the Lord with that. So know that that mentality was not, um, not a healthy mentality for me all the time. But in the, in the sense of the economic insecurity that I felt, my natural first flesh response was, Oh, we need $50? I can, go, I can go figure out how to make $50. Like, perfect. I'll sell some stuff, and we'll have that. But then when you're in the downward mobility thing, you don't realize that, like, then the next day it's going to be $100, and then the next day it might be, like, your heat has to be paid and you don't have the money for it. And what the Lord kept saying to me was, like, stop. Stop. You say you believe that I will provide for you, and you're not even giving me a chance. And I knew in my head that I was supposed to think that God was going to provide for me. But functionally in my life, I acted like I believed that I had to hustle it up for myself. So that's just to give you like a humbling example of what that might look like in your own life. Anybody else would have been like, go for it, girl. Like, you're so financially savvy. Like, look at you live below your means. Like, there's 10,000 things that people would pat you on the back for for that, as often happens, because our beliefs are often in contrast with what the world says. So Instead of accepting that praise and just thinking like, you are right, I am making it. We're making things happen. We're surviving. I just had to sit back, and I had to die to myself, and I had to let my spirit push and shove with my flesh until my flesh finally was like, okay, this isn't worth it anymore. I'm too tired. I'm going to go take a nap. So that's what I did. I just pulled back, and I said, okay, Lord, you said you were going to provide. I don't know what that's going to look like, but we're going to test it out. I say you're my father. Are you going to take care of me? I say that you're with me. Is it going to feel like it? What happens if worst case scenario happens? And I just had to find out. And it was fine. It was fine. Like ultimately I had to get to the place where I really believe that Jesus was enough. And where I really believed that God is who he said he is. 
So that's the kind of weird, weird things I think about. Um, have you guys heard the scripture, like, take your thoughts captive, renew your mind? Yeah, that just show of hands, maybe, like, you're tracking with me? Okay, so you might have heard those scriptures, and I had heard those scriptures also a billion times, and once you hear things a billion times, you just assume you understand them, but there is a difference between knowledge and understanding. Knowledge is something that you can test with a true or false True or false test or a multiple choice test. This is your multiplication facts and your knowledge about U.S. history. But understanding, that's something different. That's something that takes nuance and it takes discovery and it takes really going deep in something. So just to keep with the school metaphor, it's like where you're in senior, senior year U.S. history and you have to tease out the, like, why did this war happen? What are the implications for us now because of that? Those are the kinds of things that understanding is, where you can really, you can explain it back to somebody with nuance and with care and that you can see a bigger picture. And what I found in my life with this take your thoughts captive and renew your mind, that I had knowledge that I was supposed to do that, but I had literally no clue how one was supposed to do that. Like, if you saw my racetrack of a mind, you would be like, how do you capture those things that are spinning so quickly in your head? And what does that even look like if you do catch them? What are you supposed to do with them? And I'm just going to read. How how do you hold a mic and also read from your Bible? Um, I know you can type those things up, but that always feels like cheating to me. Like, I want to be in my actual real Bible. Ah. Romans 12.2 is where I'm going, in case you are following along, which no biggie if you're not, because you can find it on the internet later in your own Bible. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I was like, sounds like a great idea. But how does one actually do that? And then 2 Corinthians 10.5, I'm closer this time, won't take as long to get there. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Also, again, what does that mean? How do you take your thoughts captive? And it seems like it should be very easy. It seems like this should be a no-brainer. These are very easy. I think because they're prescriptive, they're very easy scriptures to kind of gloss over and assume that people know how to do that. But I've been a believer for almost 20 years now, and I'm still, you know, still trying to figure that one out. And the bummer of this, the bummer of living in that divided heart, um, that integrity gap, is that we don't get to experience the abundance of God because we're not believing that our life actually is abundant or that he actually is going to care for us or or that our weakness actually is his strength. All of these things that sound really great and lofty when our pastor preaches it, if we don't actually believe it, we don't get to like live into it because we're sitting back and we're saying, sure, maybe, maybe for you, but not for me. And so... I 
did a survey of over 500 women, I started to realize in my own head, like, again, the racetrack, crazy, busy mind, maybe I'm not the only person. Maybe other people have this same affliction. Maybe this is just what being a human and having flesh and also trying to please God, maybe this is just what that looks like. Maybe we all feel like that. And so I did a survey of over 500 women, and I asked them to tell me, what's the thing you tell yourself in your head over and over? Maybe when the really small things of life go wrong, or maybe when the really big things of life go wrong. But what is your knee-jerk reaction, the first thing you say to yourself? What is that? And over 500 women responded, and I asked them maybe three ideas. So I compiled a list of 1,500 I call them bad news loops, because if we know the good news, why do we tell ourselves the bad news? And I had 1,500 bad news loops, and I got really nerdy in a spreadsheet and started, like, categorizing them and color coding them and moving them into different sheets and different forms and trying to find patterns. And after I was done, I felt like a beautiful mind, like it was just, like, all the multiplication things were like hovering in the distance. Anyway, um, once I got done with that, I realized that of all, of all the main things that women said, they mostly fell into three main buckets. And I was actually kind of shocked to see this, and I always get excited when this happens because that means like, oh, this is not too big of a problem to conquer. We're not talking about world hunger. We're not talking about like really complex social problems. We're talking about three main lies that we believe. And as I dug down, and they're all slightly different, but they fall into these three main categories. They fall into, I can't do this, which is mine, like my lie of choice. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Falls into, I'm not enough. And then it falls into, things are never going to change, or this is hopeless. And I've kind of found that if you don't nip it in the bud, I can't do this, it naturally flows into, I'm not enough. And if you believe that for long enough, it naturally flows into, nothing's ever going to change. And truly, the definition of believing that things will never change is hopelessness. And that's like anti-gospel. That's actually the opposite of the good news and the opposite of truth. And so when we dwell on these things, and listen, I can dwell on those things. They, like I said, racetrack. So, again, dwell. It's like kind of a churchy word. What does it even mean? And it really just means to ruminate on something. Ruminate, that's a weird word. Nobody uses that word, really. Um, But ruminating, it's uh, the root word is the idea of how a cow digests their food. And a cow digests their food. It goes from one stomach to the other stomach, and then it mixes around in there, and then it comes back up. And that's how they digest their food. And it's like this big, long path that it has to keep going around. And that's what ruminating is. And that's what dwelling on something is. It's just letting it marinate. It's letting it sit in there. It's my weirdo racetrack mind that the cars are just like incessantly zooming around. That's dwelling. That's ruminating. And when we dwell on things that aren't true or aren't noble or good or praiseworthy or lovely or any of those things, it's no wonder we're sitting here living these lives that we know, we know should hold power and excitement, like following the Lord. Is there a greater privilege or calling in our life? Is there a safer or better place to find ourselves? There isn't. But my flesh can still act like it doesn't believe. 
it, my flesh can still act like a non-believer. It can still say, like, that's good for other people, but not for me. Or, like, sure would be nice, but I can't figure that out. But it doesn't have to stay there. It really doesn't. I have kind of gone down this path. And let me tell you, if you ever want to write, just pick something that's really nice and easy. Write about, like, doing makeup or something because you're going to have to live the message. You're going to have to dive deep into it. You're going to have to get into the gross, nitty-gritty parts of it because there is a difference between knowledge and understanding. And you're going to have to go all the way down to the understanding. And this is true anywhere that you follow the Lord. I, use, I say that, like, book writing, that that's the thing. But anywhere you follow the Lord, this is what's going to happen. You have to do that. You have to go all the way in with him. And he invites us in greater degrees of intimacy with him all the time. Every step of obedience that we get to take is him saying, hey, come a little closer to me. Come know me a little more. And every time we take that step of obedience, it draws us a little bit closer to him. And we get a little bit more of him. And so the beauty of it is I've gone to the depths I've done battle with my own crazy mind, and I have found that these tools, this renewing your mind, this um, taking your thoughts captive, this idea of preaching to yourself, it actually helps. It actually helps. Um, God says that if we renew our mind, that he will transform it. And it's, like I said, it's not a try harder thing. It's a believe better. And I think, I think we can do that. I know that I can't muster it up to try harder day after day after day after day after day. I end up exhausted. I end up, A, if I'm doing it poorly, I end up exhausted. But almost worse, when I'm doing it well, I end up prideful. And I wonder why everybody else can't get it together and do it as well as I'm doing, just to be honest. Um, And neither, neither are great. But this way, this um, believing better, this is something we can do. Because as we step out and as we say, like, okay, Lord, you're asking me to obey. You're asking me to obey with better belief. Okay, I'll do it. I'll sit back here. I won't hustle up. Like, I won't have a garage sale to make $50 and make my husband work 90 hours to make that. (laughs) This is something we can do. This is something you can do. This is something that you can band together with your sister's here, and you can do this. This is not some weird, lofty, um, woo-woo thing that, like, may or may not work. It's something that God says, if you renew your mind, I will transform it. And that means he does the work, not us. That means that he does the changing, not us. Because anything that we change, they say what's born out of flesh is flesh, and it'll die. What's born out of spirit is spirit, and it will live forever. And if we try to muster it up and we try to do it on our own, it's, a, it's our flesh. And it will eventually fall away and we will eventually end up back in the same bad news loops. But it's going to have to be like the way I imagine it is that you're in a jungle. And this jungle is overgrown. Nobody's gone in it. It looks freaky and dark and scary. But you are here. You have like your machete or something your sword I'm not sure and this is what you know is true and this would be like the very churchy I would stop and I'd be like this is the sword of truth the word of God imagine it being your machete but it's really easier than that it's just really knowing a few main truths and going at it with that but what you do 
is you go into your mind. Your mind is the jungle, if I didn't state that. Your mind is the jungle. It's dark, twisty, creepy. Sometimes you don't even want to go in there because it's probably wild animals live in there. And yeah, I don't like to venture in there very often. But a little bit of neuroscience because I'm a little bit nerdy. Um, Our brains are actually wired. They're wired for efficiency because our brains, they... um, they keep everything going. I'm not sure if you were aware, but your brain is the thing that tells your lungs to breathe. It tells your feet to walk. It tells your eyes to blink, um, your heart to keep beating. These are things that our brain does. And so our brain doesn't want to waste a lot of time on thinking about, like, how to do a smoky eye or, like, how to drive a car, things like that. So this is what, like, muscle memory is. Our brains create pathways to make the mundane things in life a little bit easier for it so that it can conserve energy, so it can do the, like, actual life-sustaining processes that it does. And so that's great news when we're thinking about a smoky eye because goodness knows I don't want to get on YouTube every time I have to do a smoky eye and relearn it. don't want to have to relearn how to drive a car every time. So I'm grateful that my mind does that. But on the flip side, because we do know that our bodies are just as broken as the world is and just as affected by sin as the world is. And our brains sometimes latch on to those bad news loops. And every time you go around, every time you go around the racetrack, it just gets deeper and more ingrained, easier to happen the next time. More efficient because your brain is efficient, but that's not really what we're looking for here. And so what you're wanting to do, just to mix metaphors for you a little bit, is picture the jungle, and you're going in there. You're going in there with a machete, and you're saying, Lord, show me what's good. Show me what's right. Show me the path that I'm supposed to go. What new path do you want me to blaze so that I don't have to go down the easy trail? Because the easy trail will always look right. It will always look right to our brains because we've been down it a thousand times before. Don't even have to think about it. You These are reflex thoughts. They're not things that you have to really work for. But the new thoughts, those are things you have to work for. So you have to go in and you have to ask the Lord, show me every step. Do I go, do I take this path a little bit to the left? Do I take it a little bit to the right? Do I go forward? Do I just stay here for a while? And you have to continually blaze a new trail for yourself until that new trail, it looks like a wide path. It looks safe. It's lit because you can see the light from above. It's not overgrown. It's safe. It's good. It starts getting trodden down so it's easier to walk on. And then those paths, our brains also have an incredible ability to heal themselves. God created us and created our brains to be enormously magnificent. And I just am always in awe in the ways that science just backs up what Scripture says. And Scripture says if you renew your mind— God will transform it, and that's what happens in our brains. We ha- it's something called neuroplasticity, and it's our ability for our brain to kind of blaze new trails. And so all you're doing in this is that you're partnering with God, and you're blazing a new trail in your mind so that the I can't do this, that I'm not enough, and the things will never change, so that those aren't the bad news that you have on repeat. I want to do a little bit of a workshop with you guys. I don't know. Do you guys have paper? Is that a thing that people have here? Or pens? It doesn't have to be a big piece of paper. 
paper, pens. I have a whole bag of pens if anybody needs one, guys. I have highlighters, Sharpies, anything you could want. If anybody else needs more paper, I have a notebook here. Does anybody need paper? Just one piece. It can even be scrap paper. Sorry, Beth, that I didn't prepare you for this paper situation. Great work, guys. Okay. I always talk for too long, so I'm going to be a little quick on this part. But I'm going to give you the questions so that you can really think on this on your own later. And you will have time in your discussion to be able to kind of dive into this. But this is a little workshop. And like I asked the 500 women, like what are the things you tell yourself over and over and over, I think identifying these reflexive bad news loops, I think that this is a really important place to start. Because once you know that, there is a whole book that counteracts the lies that we tell ourselves. And once you know the lie, you can go find the truth. And you can set out on the path of preaching to yourself. But if you don't even know, if you haven't been able to hear or discern, sometimes the problem is is that these lies, they sound like our own voice. We're so accustomed to them that we don't even really hear them. So the, these questions are really designed to help you discern and kind of suss through the layers in your own mind. Also, my font is extremely tiny, and I'm getting old, so I'm going to be like this. Okay. I would say close your eyes, but I hate when people tell me that. So feel free to keep your eyes open if you're one of those, those rebel people. Um, close your eyes and imagine the worst version of your normal kind of morning. So this isn't talking about the morning where you get terrible news or anything terrible happens, but it's just like a really crappy version of your normal morning. I thought you were exclaiming that I said crappy. And I was like, I repent. I'm so sorry that I said crappy. (laughs) Oh, mercy. Okay. Um, This morning you slept through the alarm or you're late for whatever you had planned. I want you to really picture it in your mind. Try to embody that morning. We've all had them where you're like scrambling, nothing's going right. As you hop out of bed, you bang your knee on the side of your bed. You burn your tongue on your hot coffee. You're trying to slurp down as you hop in the car. You spill it all over your baby. Just one of those mornings. What are, what are the things you're thinking about? This is the kind of morning where nothing goes your way, where everything you try fails. Every single thing you do to salvage the situation actually makes it worse. Ask yourself what's running through your mind during this mundanely awful kind of morning. What phrase do you say over and over and over as each annoyingly, frustratingly normal thing goes wrong? Really let yourself vividly imagine this no good kind of morning and write down maybe your knee-jerk thoughts. Might be one, two, three, whatever. If you can't think of anything, it's okay. Just write down the question and ask the Lord about it later. I'm going to give you like one minute. It's not very long. 
Okay, that, as I know with these exercises, not every exercise resonates with every person. Again, I'm the person who wants to keep my eyes open, and I'm also the person like, that doesn't speak to me. So I wanted to give you another option in case that one didn't speak to you and that didn't kind of bring anything to the surface. Um, Now think back to your last fight or flight moment. Do you know what I'm talking about there? The moment where you're like, oh, no. Maybe you were faced with an impossible task at work or you had to tell somebody really bad news. Maybe your bank account ran dry before the end of the month for yet another month. What's whispering between your ears when you feel exposed or threatened? You can write those things down as well. I have a whole list of these in the book, but I am going to go ahead and read some of Uh, the 500 responses. I'm not going to read all 500, I promise. But some of the 500 responses that I got, and if you have the book, you can go through, and kind of this exercise is designed to kind of highlight in your words, maybe some that match, to see where you, so you can see where your main lie, kind of lie, lie lies. Um, But in the I can't do this, this is a question of capacity and ability. Um, Do I have what it takes? Will I make it through? Those are the kinds of questions that we're really asking. That's what our soul really wants to know of the Lord. Um, Words like, I'm a failure. Am I sure I can do this? I can't succeed. If I can't handle everything I've taken on, I'm unworthy. I'm immature and will never keep up with those around me. I'm not cut out to be a mom. Uh, I can't make ends meet. I'm too tired. This is too hard. I'm so bad at this. I can't handle it and I'll never find time to get this done. Those are kind of the I can't do this lies. Now the I'm not enough. This loop speaks to the question of identity and worth. And this is a lot of what I talked about in my first book, Wild and Free. Um, So it feels like coming home to kind of try to explain this. But the questions are, who assigns value to my life? Is it something that's earned or is it something that's given? What happens when I don't measure up? And some of those lies might be, I'm a mess, there's something wrong with me, I'm not cool enough for that, I'm just not measuring up, I'm not pretty or skinny enough, I'm too quiet and don't talk enough, no one likes me, I don't make a difference. Um, I'm not interesting, others have it easier because they are hashtag blessed. Um, I disappoint everyone, I'm so weak and I'm not patient enough. Those are the I am not enough. And obviously, I had to pick like 20 out of 1,500. So there's so many more. So your things may not look exactly like these things, but I'm giving you these examples so you can kind of ask the Lord to help point those things out to you. And then nothing's ever going to change. Um, This is a question of futility, of just utter um, weakness. And I don't mean weakness in the good way, but just utter... um, Yeah, just futility. Does any of this even matter, and is there hope? When I'm looking for these lies, I look for words like never, ever, always, um, because those are superlatives, and those kind of add like an extra bit of like oomph to whatever you're saying. So I will always struggle. I will never change. This is never going to get better. I'll never get married. I'll always be gripped by anxiety. 
I'll never accomplish my goals. My life will never look how I want it to. I'll never lose the weight. This will never get any easier. My dream will never happen. Will I be alone forever? God can't use me. I'm done. I give up. Why do I even try? And those aren't things I made up. Those are not, um, I didn't just imagine that maybe that's what people were saying to themselves. That's what those 500 women actually told me. And I have to believe, because I see myself in a lot of those things, I have to believe that there's things in those lists that you tell yourself on repeat also. And I'd love to um, flesh out the whole thing for you because I don't like to drop a bomb and then leave, leave you with it. But I think that this is really the first step in being able to fight back against those lies is to know which ones you're even believing. Because if you start out in step two before you do step one, it's really just a try harder thing. Because I, when I realized that, oh my gosh, I say I can't do this like at least 30 times a day and it's really annoying and I would never repeat something else 30 times a day out loud, I had to repent. I had to go to the Lord and say, I am sorry. You say that with you I can do it. But I feel, I say it all the time. I take myself out of the game before I've ever started. And so it had to start with repentance in my own heart. The glorious thing about that, though, is our world doesn't like to do that. We don't like to be exposed. We don't like to say we're sorry. We don't like to be found out. But the good news is, is that the Lord is not surprised by this. There is nothing that is going to shock him or make him love you less. But repentance brings refreshment. That's what scripture says. And we can't get that refreshment until we repent. And so um, repentance sounds like a pilgrimy kind of word, like hellfire and brimstone and whatnot. But all it really, really means is seeing your heart's condition for what it is, realizing that you're utterly hopeless to change it on your own, and asking God for forgiveness and asking him to change it for you, and then being willing to turn and go the different direction. So Repentance sounds like a scary, heavy word, but it's not. It's beautiful. It leads us to refreshment. And then we can get on with the rest of the work of being like little Wonder Woman with her swords and her cuffs. I walked out of Wonder Woman feeling like, I can do all the things. This is amazing. Who watched Wonder Woman? If you haven't, can you watch it this weekend? Okay, good. At least a few hands. You Seriously, watch that movie, then read the book, and you'll feel like you are set to go, that you have like all the power in the world because you are a daughter of the Lord. And don't despair. Don't get discouraged. You have a whole community here of women who want to walk through this with you. It can be hard and scary to go into your own mind by yourself. But if you have a friend there that knows that's where you're heading, they can be there with like a flashlight, like, I'll light the way for you, or I'll come in after you if you get stuck in there. So lean on each other and do this together. And kind of, I think it can change everything. I think if we change our minds, we can actually, actually change everything. I hope you'll do that. I'm excited to see where that leads you guys.